Welcome to The Interrupt. This is a podcast about understanding the decentralized economic networks which make up the interchain. And my hope is that my listeners will gain a better understanding of the topology of these networks, the technologies that make it possible, and the opportunities that it provides to investors and developers. I'm Sebastian Couture. I'm a podcaster and investor. I'm here today with Federico Kunse Kulma, uh, who's the um, co-founder of Evmos and the CEO of Tharsis. Uh, thanks for joining me, Fede. Hey, Sebastian. Uh, thanks uh, for having me today. Really excited to uh, be part of the intro and also uh, this new venture that you're starting. This is a, a new podcast. It's called The Interop. Uh, this episode is going to go out on Epicenter, uh, which is my, my other podcast, but also go out on The Interop. Uh, so it's a bit of a cross promotion here to get people in the epicenter universe uh, to also, you know, start uh, listening to the interop because there's so much happening in the interchain ecosystem right now. And I think like there's a lot of interest for it. And we've seen that like with all of this new content coming out. And what I want to do with this podcast is um, bring more technical discussions. So the kinds of conversations that we have on epicenter, you know, the very deep technical discussions, but that also go like kind of high level and looking at the ecosystem um, you know, I, like a 10,000 feet level. I want to have those conversations about, about the interchain and the Cosmos ecosystem. But yeah, for, for listeners who aren't familiar with you, I mean, you've been in the Tendermint, uh, and Cosmos, uh, kind of ecosystem for a really long time. You were like an early employee at Tendermint. Um, tell us a bit about like, you know, how you, your background, I, I think also Sunny is the person who, um, kind of got you hired at Tendermint or introduced you to the Tendermint organization back in the day. Like, Give us a bit of a background here, like how you came into into this world. Yeah, as, as you mentioned, I, I was one of the, f I would say, like first employees uh, at Tendermint. Um, but more importantly, I was also like one of the first interns uh, from Tendermint. So I was part of um, blockchain in Berkeley as part of my semester abroad that I did a user Berkeley. And... Uh, well, being at Blockchain Berkeley, uh, Sonny had just uh, dropped out during that semester and he started working at Cosmos uh, Tendermint. And Sonny saw my work that I was doing with the Blockchain Berkeley organization, working with different uh, Fortune 500 companies, developing smart contracts, etc. And he introduced me to the uh, Tendermint team that was working super hard back then. Uh, it was post ICO. So they were like working super hard on, uh, on developing all the functionalities of Cosmos. Back in the day, they started working on the Cosmos SDK. They had uh, Peggy and they also had, uh, of course, Ethermint, uh, which is a precursor project of Evmos. And um, they saw my work and um, yeah, I applied for an internship and I started working with them. And then once I graduated, I moved to a full-time position and relocated to Berlin. Yeah, because you were initially working from the San Francisco office, I think, and then you then moved to the Berlin office where you're now based. What was it like at, in the early days of working at, at Tendermint? Um, what was the vibe there? Dude, it was super rushed. There were so many projects going on. There was uh, Peggy, which was a former name of Gravity Bridge as well. Um, Ethermint, uh, Tendermint Core, and Cosmos SEK, and Gaia, which initially was only part of the Cosmos SEK, but then like it uh, 
was moved to another code base so that you can have like separation of concerns and uh, the Cosmos Hub could uh, evolve into its own particular code base with different functionalities, etc. Um, like the ones we now see with the Gravity Dex, etc. Um, yeah, so lots of projects, uh, teams working on 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 all these different uh, initiatives, um, interns working on and everything back in the day. Um, when I joined full-time, I was working on the uh, Voyager wallet. I'm not sure if you remember that. Uh, with Jordan and, and, and Fabo, uh, they were the first ones to introduce uh, UI for Cosmos with the governance. They implement, we implemented also the Ledger, um, the Ledger UI for to connect directly with uh, the Ledger Cosmos applications that had just launched. And yeah, it was uh, exciting times back in the days. And when did you start working on putting an EVM on, on Tendermint? I think you were part of the first uh, kind of team within uh, the Tendermint organization to uh, start working on that project. So uh, I didn't work exactly on Ethermint back in the days. I was mostly working on either Voyager, um, Peggy, uh, so Gravity Bridge, and I also worked on uh, uh, the Cosmos SDK. Uh, but when, in, so like initially Ethermint, which was his first uh, iteration of EVM on top of uh, the Tendermint consensus, Tendermint core uh, consensus engine. Um, it was developed first as a Tendermint application, which is the base layer that the Cosmos SDK now implements. And then it migrated fully to um, like a Cosmos application, so a Cosmos-based chain. And that took a while and was uh, spearheaded by Jackson Poling, who coincidentally was hired um, to PM the Ethermint project, and then once uh, once more resources were required for the Cosmos Hub, he switched teams and started working on on that project. Um, we were also working with Alex Bess. Um, yeah, Bess was um, the core contributor for a long time, and also started working on Ethermint, and then migrated entirely to the Cosmos SDK and the rest of the Tendermint core and Basically, he's he's been working on the full like the full stack of uh, Cosmos applications for a while. So yeah, I I worked yeah. But so back to your original question, when did I start working? It was uh, in 2020 when I was uh, contracting for Chainsafe. Um, so after I left Tendermint, I started um, freelancing and working for different entities, and and one of them was. Uh, one of them was a chain safe and I started working on Ethermint because they, they had received a grant from the ICF to work on Ethermint. So I want to get straight into Evmos here. And, uh, you know, I, I heard you say on a community call, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, that um, what you're doing is difficult. And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, it's it's difficult enough to build, uh, to to build applications on blockchains. There's all sorts of things that need to be taken into account that perhaps um, are abstracted away in you know, web development or like more 
mature development environments. There's just the fact that it's decentralized. You have to take you, you have to all these stakeholders into account. Um, there's the fact that you know, like you have to keep the, the the chain secure with like validators or miners. And but you guys are adding like an extra complexity onto this, which is uh, you know like marrying these two technologies that weren't uh, made like weren't, weren't made to work together initially. I think and. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm coming at this with like uh, not not a very technical uh, eye, but like it seems to me that these technologies are are, are not um, well suited to go together. Br- can you break down like why building an EVM on tenement consensus uh, and and then like in- integrating IBC into that technology stack is so complex? So the main problem that we see in integrating not only to the call to Tendermint specifically, but to the rest of the Cosmos ecosystem, is the lack of um, support for Ethereum tools, Ethereum keys. Uh, so, for example, one very particular case that has been super hard for us to like go through, and we had to take we we had to make like really uh, tough decisions in terms of like how can we improve user experience. Uh, was the the lack of support for Ethereum keys on the Cosmos ecosystem? Because um, Cosmos only supports one type of key that is the one that it's shared across the Cosmos Hub, etc. So, like when you create your address, it's always in that key format, um, which is which is SACP two five six K one. Coincidentally, Ethereum also implements that. Uh, key but has a different derivation for the private key to the address so the address generated with the same key is different that results in just imagine you going to kepler wallet and opening your tab and then if you export that private key and then you import it to say metamask you have a completely different key um like a different address so to say that's one case and then the other thing just like misc things like for example the address format on ethereum is uh hex addresses like 0x blah 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 and then um cosmos you have like back 32 so you need to create compatibility for the user to in order to okay i'm now using a cosmos address i should expect to use the back 32 the back 32 format so like the ones that start with cosmos or Ev- or evmos in our case or uh osmos osmosis um so you have like all these formats that are different that's more like on the ux kind of thing um and then on top of that you have the problem that in the in tendermint consensus um, it's BFT, so fast finality. So there's no concept of uh, pending state. So when you have to wait for the transactions to finalize, sometimes on Ethereum you have like transaction pending on the on on um, Etherscan, um, like all this functionality that on Tendermint is is not there because there's never I don't know there's never been a use case that needs to support handling pending state because like the, the state is is committed to the chain yeah it's not probabilistic like in like in ethereum or proof of proof of work blockchains so it goes to the mempool the, the transaction is verified internally and then broadcasted to the rest of the network and then the the, the transaction is finalized 
But on on Ethereum, you actually need to have a probabilistic finality, so like a Nakamoto consensus, where uh, the the there needs to be like confirmations uh, for the transactions in order to be included to the to the heaviest um, subtree as well. I'm not exactly sure how uh, Polygon works under the hood, but my understanding is that Polygon is uh, is an EVM chain on on Tendermint, right? What's different about Polygon and and Evmos aside from the fact that maybe there's IBC on Evmos? So the main difference is the architecture. Polygon was created in a way to entirely support the Ethereum ecosystem and to uh, create checkpoints to the Ethereum blockchain. So you can, even though you have fast finality on the Tendermint consensus, you can you can eventually roll back to the previous uh, to the previous uh, blocks if um, if needed be. So the the approach here is different, and then I, I think they're working on a Cosmos SDK, but they're still implementing checkpointing. The staking uh, the staking um, approach is different, so it's not very modular. And I think they're working on like an SDK as well, um, a Polygon SDK, so that they can have more uh, chains that are EVM compatible in their ecosystem. But the the modular approach they have is very different from the ones that we can find right nowadays on Cosmos. Because they don't need to run into this issue of like, oh, compatibility between Cosmos and Ethereum. And, and they took the approach of like creating the or drafting the entire architecture based on Ethereum. So they don't have to handle any of the Cosmos cases. Okay. Yeah, understood. And when, when Ethereum starts moving, uh, when the EVM, I mean, like basically Ethereum two is going to be fast finality proof of stake uh it, are, are there aspects of like the east two evm or whatever that should look like that uh make it easier for evmos to implement where you don't have to uh take into account this this technical debt that has to do with proof of work um so most of the components from proof of work we actually uh, are are not relevant to us. So for example, the on the JSON RPC, then miner namespace or setting the Coinbase address for the miner, like all that stuff. So like the the validator itself is the one that is um, like using all these functionality itself and it's all handled through the Cosmos component of Evmos, which is which are the Cosmos SDK modules. Um, whereas on Ethereum it's all handled through like the internal Geth architecture, or like in this case, uh, um, yeah, the ETH2 architecture. So like one big thing is like, even though Ethereum I evolved to ETH2.0, um, we still need to ensure that compatibility with uh, some of the existing tooling. And so there are two approaches here. Either you reduce compatibility with uh, say MetaMasks, uh, or other um, EVM explorers, clients, etc., tools, or by, for example, just implementing the EVM and you define your own, say, JSON RPC endpoints and whatever, um, 
um, which will cause all these clients to break, or you start, you need to all the time try to catch up with the latest developments or the latest versions uh, supported of mainnet on Ethereum. So there's an, a double effort in, in terms of like supporting all the Cosmos ecosystem tooling, uh, supporting all the Ethereum ecosystem tooling and trying to catch up with whatever the latest uh, state of Ethereum is and implement new functionalities on top of that. So our team, our team which is uh, fairly small, is able to quickly adapt and, and catch up with Ethereum and implement all these new functionality for the EVM. Uh, for the Atmos EVM and also implement new functionality in terms of like token economics, um, interoperability, etc. So we're looking to hire more core engineers and also full stack engineers that can help us like merge and uh, marry these two uh, ecosystem into a single user experience that is uh, really smooth for the end user. Yeah, so let's let's talk about this. Like, so there's lots of things here I think that need to be unpacked. So, you know, the the user experience, the ecosystem of applications, the types of features, and you know, you talked about tokenomics and Evmos um, uh, had a, a novel approach to you know launching the chain, which was the rec drop. It's been covered extensively, and I don't want to go like too much in the details here. But you know, just uh, for you know. I think most of our listeners will be familiar with the fact that there was an attempt to launch Evmos uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, that attempt, um, well, for lack of a better term, it failed. And we'll get into what happened later in the interview. But what is the current state of affairs, and um, how um, you know how does this um, affect? You know, effectively, either the um, the enthusiasm around the network launching, and ha have you seen any uh, evidence that what was like like a highly, I think, hyped project with a lot of enthusiasm? Have you seen any evidence that that is going away, or is the community, you know, or is is the community like uh, confident and and sort of supporting you in your efforts to relaunch the chain? The upgrade, as you mentioned, didn't go as, as, as smooth as we wanted to. Um, there were like different bugs, especially because of the the lack of support from different like Cosmos tools, and uh, there were also like some edge cases that we had to handle in terms of IBC because now besides having like all the functionality on Cosmos, the functionality on the EVM, uh, we also need to handle all these edge cases for um for IBC. And yeah, definitely it, I think the hype has lowered a little bit. I am confident that once we launch again um and we restart the chain, the hype will continue and but mostly because users will be able to claim their tokens um through the dashboard super easy and um, will be able to like stake their tokens natively. And uh, there are also a lot of projects already trying to build and deploy in Avmos. And also like a few of them are uh, creating er uh, creating um, a few airdrops so that the community can also like benefit early on. And, and I think the earlier 
the users start to stake and and, and use their tokens for LPing, etc. Um, the quicker the hype will return, I think. It has also been really humbling for us, for the team. So then we're not here for the hype, but we're also like trying to build as much as possible and try to, I don't know, improve our processes, improve the functionality that we want to bring and ensure that we implement the changes. And this is one key difference with other EVM ecosystems. I believe is that we are not only tackling this from a like core protocol infra, uh, perspective, like the infrastructure that supports the smart contracts, but we're also trying to push for products that support um, the protocol. So like the dashboard, um, we've been closely working with Kepler in order to support Ethereum signing. Um, we are adding, for example, MetaMask support for Cosmos transactions. So that users can use um, their MetaMask wallet with Cosmos and Ethereum. So, like trying to create this user experience natively, and we need to ensure that this is not only supported on the in the protocol side, but it's also supported on the product side. And I think the the protocol itself was ready. I think what was missing was more QA in terms of like the tooling and um, the, the product itself. And uh, how, how are you doing through all this? Uh, how, how are you holding up through this uh, this ordeal? Yeah, it was hard during the, the, the first week, I think, but um, our team is also very supportive and the community is very supportive. Um, I think a lot of people were like super hyped and also the price of the token and whatnot. But um, for the ones that know us and we've, we've been working and building for so long and we were the only team that was able to finally launch this after more than more than six years already. So yeah, we went back and building to build and, and be able to support this um, new functionalities that we wanted to add and uh, and go back to the uh, drawing board and test every functionality that we wanted. So I'm, yeah, I've, I've been able to hold up with the support of friends, family, and also the community that is supporting us. But I think once we restart the chain, it's going to be like the best user experience you will see. Yeah, I'm, I'm really... Uh... We'll, we'll we'll talk about like the launch plan and everything towards the end here, but yeah, let, let's let's dive into uh, you know some of the um, some of the things that uh, Evmos uh, brings in terms of you know, innovation to the EVM, like currently or like when the chain launches, but then also uh, yeah you know into the future and the roadmap for the chain. Um, yeah, can, can you uh, can you break all that down for us? Yeah, so we now have a bunch of projects that are looking to deploy to Evmos in the first uh, week or two after restarting, um, including Ave and other blue chip projects. And we have a lot of new projects that are deploying into the Evmos ecosystem because they saw the potential of like the new token, the innovative token token model that we created. So there are multiple branches in terms of like the future roadmap that we want to implement. One of them is, of course, called protocol. Like, what is the chain going to support in the future? Besides just AVM and and and, and the default interoperability that Cosmos allows you. 
And then the others, the other side is like, what are we doing in terms of products in order to support these all these use cases? Um, and in terms of the protocol, we've been also like working closer with Celestia for seven months, and this is something that we're really looking forward to implement and eventually deploy once Celestia is ready, uh, which is um, a settlement layer for Celestia rollups. So it's basically a rollup on like supporting EVM rollups on top of Atmos EVM. And that's one thing. The other thing is working on interoperability and uh, interoperability, not only in the sense of transferring assets, uh, we are already supporting ERC20 tokens um, to be transferred uh, in and out from the Atmos chain. But we're also looking forward to enable interchain composability so that chains like Sommelier or Region Network who have specific use cases targeting DeFi can directly call smart contracts deployed in Evmos and uh, make sense of that data by unpacking the events and then um, realizing, okay, like here's, here's the event data that was logged uh, on the Evmos smart contract. What am I going to do with that? And, and then, like, they handle like specific use cases, like for example, on Sommelier, they can uh, rebalance LP positions or um, work directly with Ave. So this brings a lot of benefits in terms of uh, reduces latency. If you're using Gravity Bridge or any other bridge existing, any existing bridge currently deployed in the ecosystem, because IVC will drastically decrease the latency, and then the the transaction fees will be way lower. So I expect a lot of interest in this functionality from other teams um, in order to support communication directly with smart contracts. And that's one thing. The other in particular is NFT, uh, NFT interoperability. We're also working closely with um, the Stargaze team in order to transfer NFTs from the from the Evmos AVM into the Cosmos Wasm environment that they use, and so like making interoperable NFTs um, is going to be something huge for the rest of the ecosystem and for um, GameFi. In particular, so that we can support uh, application-specific blockchains or as application-specific EVMs that are directly sharing security with Evmos, for example, and be able to directly use this functionality to transfer NFT assets. And yeah, like that's that's more or less what we're doing. And in the future, we're also going to be supporting um, cross-chain NFT, like delegate calls from one chain to another. And then, yeah, once, you, once we implement that, we'll be able to share composability between uh, EVM chains. So that uh, a chain that is on a, a smart contract that is deployed on Evmos can uh, communicate directly with an, a smart contract that is deployed, for example, on Kronos or other EVM chain that will be deployed in the future. So I'm, I really want to dive into this, uh, in this interoperability aspect because I think there's different components of it that um, maybe, at least I, I don't fully understand. So if, if you're used to using, uh, if you're used to using sort of interchain uh, or IBC assets, uh, you you can move assets from one chain to the other. So if you have assets on, uh, you have like atoms, you can move those atoms over to uh, 
to uh, osmosis, for instance, and then those atoms live there, and then you can move them back to another. So from the user perspective, it's seamless, and uh, I think like people kind of understand that once they've used it. What's that going to look like for Evmos? Uh, so I, I pres- my, the way I'm thinking about it is like, okay, so you'll be able to move assets outside of Evmos, but these are not uh, IBC assets or like ERC20 tokens or kind of EVM uh, tokens. And then what's the interaction with other EVMs? So uh, what, you know, Ethereum or uh, Polygon or what, how does that, uh, how does Evmos create interoperability also with those chains? So the Evmos interoperability uh, components are, yeah, they're they're multiple, and the main one, of course, is IVC in the in the Cosmos ecosystem. So IVC allows us, as you mentioned, to transfer native assets from the Cosmos hub from Osmosis directly into the Evmos. But unfortunately, the the native functionality for of IVC doesn't allow conversions of those tokens directly to um, to the Evmos AVM. So you need to create sort of like a, a mapping between like ERC20 tokens and Cosmos IVC tokens. So for example, like a Cosmos uh, hub atom or an Osmosis uh, token that, is been, that has been to- transferred over via IVC. How do you represent now those tokens within the AVM and how then those tokens are bridged over, which is the second component I want to talk about. How are those tokens now bridged over uh, through their ERC-20 representation to other chains? And that's going to be through Nomad and uh, Connects and other bridges that are deploying uh, on Evmos. So we're going to see an influx of all these ERC-20 tokens from all these different chains. Uh, Polygon, Avalanche, and uh, Ethereum, of course, uh, Moonriver and Moonbeam to the Evmos and Cosmos ecosystem. And then those tokens, those ERC-20 tokens will be able to be converted to the Cosmos IBC representation so that they can be transferred over to Cosmos Hub or Osmosis. So it's going to create a lot of liquidity. So we expect Evmos to become the main point of entry from all the EVM ecosystem uh, for all these assets to come through these bridges to Evmos. And then through this functionality that we're allowing these ERC20 tokens to be converted, those tokens will now be able to be transferred via IVC to the rest of the Cosmos ecosystem. Okay, so let's just take an example here. Let's say I have uh, USDC on uh, on on Ethereum uh, or or even Polygon, or like any EVM chain that supports USDC. Uh, I'll have to move those through a bridge, which will either so that right now you've talked about Nomad and Connects. So those are two separate bridges that will be EVM uh, have most compatible. Move those assets into Evmos. And then from there, you can take those USDC assets. Uh, there's a some sort of conversion that happens that you, allows you to move them into the native interchain uh, assets that we're all used to moving around. 
Yeah, so like changing the address format more or less. Um, you're you're changing the format for how the token is represented on chain. Either it's like an ERC twenty token format or it's a Cosmos token format. Okay, and will those be fungible? Like, say you move them from Connex or you move them from Nobat, are are those going to be fungible once they're in F, in FMOS? Yeah. So there is a direct mapping. So uh, governance approve uh, token pair. So that the token pair is just a mapping between the Cosmos and the ERC twenty asset. So that um, there's only one canonical representation for, um, say, WETH on Ethereum for um, USDC. So that there's like a only one token. Um, so that this ensures fungibility and then this token will be able to be transferred via IBC to other chains. Okay, and is fungibility also insured? So they're, they're insured via these two bridges, but is it insured, like is a, is a Polygon USDC or a Polygon wrapped ETH equivalent or infungible to a Ethereum wrapped ETH once it arrives in Evmos? Or are those still kind of separate tokens? So the 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 fungibility needs to be, the fungibility between like all these bridges is something that we're currently working with multiple teams. Frax is already working; it's also deploying on Evmos. And so yeah, like as you mentioned, there there are going to be like multiple bridges. It's the same as with it's the same as the problem with IVC and fungibility. When you relay the same token via via different uh, sort of like IVC routes, um, the tokens are not fungible because there are different security guarantees in all these different chains that the token has passed through. So that someone needs to basically assume the risk and um, having, well, I wouldn't say like a canonical bridge because it's not maintained by the team, but there's like a prefer way of routing all these different chains, has different options on security levels, also helps in terms of fungibility. I would expect different also like DeFi protocols, state like Curve or, or uh, I think it's Kinesis, the name of the project that is also gonna do like stable um, sta a stable coin AMM. Um, so yeah, to handle all these fungibility issue. Yeah, I was talking to the Kinesis guys uh, the other day, and it seems like they want to uh, address this fungibility issue, which exists, like it's independent of FMOS, right? It, it, this exists uh, already in the Ethereum ecosystem, and there was some debate, you know, around, I think it was a couple months ago, where like, w about which bridges should uh, be should be allowed on osmosis, and like Sonny weighed in with like his opinion, which was we need to limit um, or like it, at least for now, we, we can't create an, an experience where there's all these representations of the same assets, which creates like a user experience that's degraded for, for end users. Um, like we've seen on Ethereum, right? Where you have like 20 different representations of USD assets, for example, like on the same um, on the same uh, liquidity pool, uh, or in the, like on the same, like on Uniswap, for instance. So, why are there two bridges? Why, why Nomad and Connex, and why not like a canonical bridge? 
Um, so Nomad and Connects are able to provide. It's 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 sort of like the same breach under like underlying breach. It's Connects uh, is using like Nomad infrastructure, but there are different options for um, in terms of speed of the transfer, in terms of like because um, it's an optimistic bridge, and there are different like pros and cons of using like an an optimistic bridge in terms of latency or like how like if if the transaction is optimistic and then you you have this uh a period that you can uh that you can challenge basically the transfer um so they're they're more or less uh, two sides of the same coin um in terms of like using the same infrastructure by offering different like options to the user Okay, and, and will what? What about the um, sort of interchain accounts and the ability for like a, 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 an address on like on Cosmos or on Osmosis to control addresses and smart contracts on Fmos? What what, what is that going to be possible, and what kinds of things does that allow? Yeah, so interchain accounts is a it's a functionality that we're really interesting. To work on, um, we we wanted to implement it for for mainnet, but unfortunately the the IVC release wasn't ready. Um, so one of the cool things that we want to support is, for example, like you have all these funds, all these validators that have tons of atoms, tons of uh, osmosis, and other chain and other um, tokens. But how do you how do you manage the tokens safely? Uh, in an organization right now on, on 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 Cosmos, you need to create a multisig, like a two out of three, and there's no UI for it. If you've used the Cosmos multisig, you know the pains that I'm that I <laughs> that I'm explaining to you right now because it's it's really hard. Uh, we even we've been core uh, <laughs> core contributors and core engineers of the Cosmos ecosystem for a while now. And even us, we have an internal guide of uh, how to make a transfer with the Cosmos multisig, which only is supported on the terminal CLI. Yeah, this, this, is, a, this is a huge pain point, I think, in, in, in Cosmos. It's and, a huge pain point. Yeah. And uh, one of the big things that we want to support is for accounts on the Cosmos Hub on Osmosis, to be able to manage and um, assets on, a, for example, a Gnosis multisig, so you can have the same assets and and you can just use a Gnosis multisig for everything um, and manage your Cosmos uh, coins, your um, your Osmosis, your Evmos ERC twenties, and uh, yeah, like Evmos tokens as well. So it's it's going to be like. Improving the user experience is something that we really care about, and using all these interoperability functionalities to also benefit the rest of the Cosmos ecosystem, I think it's going to be like a key component here. Yeah, I mean that being able to use a product like Gnosis Multisig on uh, on Cosmos would be just like amazing. I think you know they've really nailed the Multisig um, UX and and feature set and. Um, I mean, I, I'm also kind of surprised that no one's built this already on on Cosmos. Maybe, maybe it'll come. I mean, like you got the guys working on DAO DAO, and there's like some 
you know, multi-sig there, but it's kind of clunky still and the UX isn't great and you, you can't add addresses and the, the potential is there, but it's, it's not, it's not a production product. Yeah. I, I think you can in the contracts, but like the contracts support those calls, but you still have to do like a, you know, command line, um, thing to, to get that to work. Yeah. So what, what, what'll be the DeFi component? Well, like what, what what kind of DeFi applications will be launched on FMOS? You mentioned Ave earlier, uh, but are there you know, native projects uh, that are uh, anticipated to launch there? And I think like broadly, what 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 will be the DeFi experience on FMOS, and how will it be different from what we're used to in Ethereum? And and maybe you know, how is it different from uh, Osmosis? What does it bring to the table? For the team, it's more or less the same, but now it enables them to. So, for all of these um, chains to access the token directly via IVC, and for the token to be transferred via IVC, which also provides uh, more liquidity to the project. Additionally, you have the token model that allows users and users for these all these protocols to spend 50% of the transaction fee uh, and, and those 50% transaction fee goes to the validators and 50% of the transaction fee goes to the, develop, the developer team, uh, so the contract owners. And so like that is able to fund additional sources, um, like uh, provide additional funding for the team. That's more like a, like why is it better? It, it's able. It has lower transaction fees. It has uh, additional liquidity sources. So from all of these EVM chains and also from the Cosmos ecosystem, and uh, with the new interchain composability component, as I mentioned before, other chains will be directly able to interact with these smart contracts via IVC. And also the smart contracts on Evmos will be able to call at the other smart contracts that are supported on the EVM, on the Evmos EVM on other chains, for example. So you don't need, you don't need to um, fragment composability at all. Okay, got it. So the, the, that's one thing I, I remember hearing about, but I forgot is that um, transaction fees can go in, 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 in a DeFi application on FMOS, transaction fees can go to the liquidity provider, but they can also go to, or sorry, not transaction fees, but the swap fees can also go to the validator. Yeah, so the, the key thing here is normally on Ethereum, and this is, this is also a key difference with the rest of the EVM ecosystem is on Ethereum and other EVM ecosystems, if you're paying the transaction fee, that transaction fee is going directly to the block proposer, uh, either the miner or the validator. Um, here, instead, the main difference is that 50% goes to the um, developer, and then 50% goes to the block proposer. To the developer, right? To the developer of the of the of the contract of the contract. Yeah. Yes. What this creates effectively is a decentralized. Uh, marketplace and decentralized app store where the users that are interacting with a with a product with a DeFi application are paying fifty percent of the transaction fee, 
to the developer and 50% of the transaction fee to the block proposer. And it's not that they are paying an extra 50%, it's just that the fee that they're already paying, uh, same as Ethereum or other EVM chains, is now being split between the two like the two organizations or the or the developer and the block proposer. Uh, what this ensures like alignment uh, with their protocol itself so that the validators still get the rewards that they're generated through the validation of the protocol and, and proof of stake. Plus they get 50% of the transaction fees. But now you're also incentivizing all these developers to come deploy their applications to EVMAS. And this creates a larger, it's like chicken and egg problem. Like how do you incent how do you bring in more users if there are no applications? And um, through this, you're also incentivizing new developers to come in and deploy um, through this, uh, what we call DAP store model. So th this is a really na novel, uh, I think, uh, functionality in, in blockchains generally. I, I don't think that there's any other chain that does this where the smart contract developer is also remunerated for uh, transaction fees. Um, do you think this is something that other chains will adopt? Like, is, is this something that you could see kind of spreading in the EVM ecosystem as well? Yeah, I think there are a lot of, I mean, so if you think about the way of funding a team right now, the teams either um, raise funding uh, for the company, like traditional uh, sources of funding, go to VC, go to like early angel investors, and they provide like, um, yeah, they, they dilute themselves in order to attract new investors. And then you also have like the token model where they launch a new token and they distribute that and the team holds a large per the percentage of the token. Um, but if you think about it, there hasn't been uh, like a sustainable, long sustainable um, funding mechanism that is directly correlated with the usage of the application. So the more users interact with the application here on Evmos, the more transaction fees the developer will get. So it's a long sustainable, and it's and it's in parallel to these two other funding models that I, I mentioned before. But it's a more like it's a healthier one in the long term because it's a, it allows to generate uh, continuous revenue to the developer team. Yeah, it like totally changes the economics, I think, for the developer team. And um, when a developer launches a contract, uh, are these are these parameters that you can set? Say, okay, I want to take like fifty percent, or I can take less, or like if I don't want to have any other transactions, like you know, different different uh, different contracts might have um, uh, different ideas about how these fees should be uh, repartitioned between the miners and, or the validators and the and the contracts uh, or the teams. Um, it, is this like by default, or is it something that you can set up? Yeah, so it's set by default, um, or, or like this. This is something that we need to we need to still analyze with with the core team. 
Um, but for now, the, the current specification that we have, it's, it's set in by default. But what you can do as a developer is if you don't want to actually earn these rewards, you can set the address that you want to, instead of you, the developer team, receiving 50% of the transaction fees, you could um, redirect those uh, tokens to the community pool if you want or to the validators themselves. So you can get the validator address um, and then reward the validator. Or if you want to allocate those tokens to like the entire pool of validators, you can also distribute them to the entire pool of validators. Um, so there are different options here. And you can even, you can even like set another contract uh, developer address or, or fund another contract uh, through this mechanism. Yeah, or you could fund some charity or, or something exactly. like that. And uh, that's totally up to the developer and they can change the address whenever they want. Does does that, do you, I mean, do you think that, so let's say we have developer, because then you, you I, it seems like you get in this situation where developers are competing also for their transactions to get processed. So like if a developer... Uh, is awarding more um, of the transaction fees to the validators, so awarding less transaction fees for themselves, then there may be an incentive for those transactions to go through um, first. Is that is that something that is 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 taken into account here, or does that not really come into play? At the moment, so at the moment, the trans the uh, Tendermint mempool only supports. Uh, um, uh, first in, first out queue. So you send a transaction with, uh, say, 100 tokens in fees, and then you send a transaction with 1,000 tokens in fees. The one that was processed before is actually executed before. Unless you run some, like, fork of Tendermint, where you modify the uh, mempool internals completely, um, it's not currently supported, but th I think the next um, major Tendermint version is supporting like prioritized queue, and we'll definitely need to take that into account. But the current the current model doesn't support it um, straight ahead. And but yeah, this is something. Well, depending when these functionality is released, we'll need to take into account. So if we if we deploy this functionality first, we don't need to account for these particular. Um, case, but uh, once we want to upgrade to the latest uh, Tendermint version, we'll have to we'll have to consider this for sure. Okay, yeah. Um, and what what other kinds of innovative things is Evmos uh, does are integrated in Evmos that you know don't exist in other EVM chains, or what other innovative things that are 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 you implementing in the token model? So the other innovative thing that we took uh, from existing DeFi applications is uh, the concept of usage rewards. So if you read the uh, RecDrop token model, um, you can see that we airdrop tokens uh, to users on Ethereum based on the gas that they've spent, um, which is called the gas drop model. And the more you spend on gas on different contracts, the more tokens you get in airdrop. And so we 
wanted to implement this on the protocol level for users that interact natively with different contracts. So what we're doing is taking the OP incentive model that Osmosis has, uh, so like incentivizing the liquidity pools, we're implementing this, but for smart contracts. So the more gas you spend on smart contracts, uh, the more usage rewards you will get. So you're incentivizing certain contracts. So for example, bridging could be incentivized or AMM swaps could be, or like, I don't know, like an NFT marketplace could be incentivized. And this is all voted through governance. So the community votes for which are gonna be the contracts that are gonna be incentivized. Yeah, uh, you define a number of uh, weeks that you want these incentives to run and then you, yeah, you're basically incentivizing on all the users that interact with this contract. So it's going to be like a growth hack mechanism because now if you have this contract that is incentivized and also the developers are getting transaction fees, the users are getting tokens just for using the application, but they're paying with the transaction fees, right? And then half of those transaction fees will go directly to the developer team, which will attract more developers, more contracts get incentivized, and more users interact with the protocol itself. So it's creating a positive reinforcement cycle in which you are attracting more developers and more users over time. So, you know, are, are, are you confident that FMOS um, will also act as a growth hacking mechanism for the interchain IBC ecosystem because like you know as a as a developer it makes sense to go deploy your contract there um, there's going to be a number of blue chip uh, uh, number of blue chip um, eth ethereum uh, dapps that are going to deploy there and like Ave is one of them um, the liquidity it'll be pretty seamless to move liquidity in and out of evmos yeah Kepler is Kepler is supported natively with Ethereum signing. MetaMask is supported natively with traditional Ethereum signing plus Cosmos signing transactions through EIP 712, which is a meta transaction standard. So now with MetaMask, you can sign IBC. So you don't need to add any new functionality to the existing project or to your existing client. You just need to support um, EIP 712 if you are using like a UI, for example. Yeah, I think it's going to be huge for the ecosystem because attracting new developers and new pro and new projects in general and new users that are native from the Ethereum ecosystem is also going to attract more tokens, more use cases for the interchain ecosystem. Yeah, I, I was part of the core IVC team and uh, we're close uh, with other teams in the ecosystem. So all this functionality that is going to be deployed on Evmos is going to be available to the entire Cosmos ecosystem through IBC. And this is something that we're not going to try to, for example, like capture all this value only for the Evmos chain, but we want all this, all this liquidity to come into the Cosmos ecosystem, all these different use cases to come into the Cosmos ecosystem, all this new functionality from the Ethereum tool use, um, from this Ethereum tooling that already works and is already supported by multiple teams is going to be available for like the, the one that I explained with the multisig 
is going to be available for the rest of the our Cosmos ecosystem um, through interchain accounts, for example. Yeah, and all of the DAO tooling and all—I mean, all all the yeah. I mean, it's just like Solidity and the EVM have such an advance. I think on like any other other uh, blockchain in terms of tooling. Um, yeah, it, it, I think this makes so much sense. And something I tweeted about um, just before the call and that we're really excited to work on is creating like a product um, for new product to make it super easy to deploy contracts uh, to Avimos, but also but also um, airdropping new tokens to Avimos stakers to uh, gas gasler contracts. So the same that we implemented for the gas drop. And the rec drop mech and the rec drop will be available for users to just like select those parameters, filter the con, uh, fil- like select some filters, like um, leave out some centralized exchanges, select a few validators they want, set up minimum amount, set up a minimum amount of gas they want, select IVC transactions, governance participation, and then you get a CSV file or, or like an X. Ex- spreadsheet with all the information of all the addresses that is publicly verified because you will also get the amount of the, the list of queries that you can also run manually in order to verify this. And then you will be able to urge off the tokens directly to those addresses um, by by using it directly on the on the EVM. Okay, this this is this this is huge. So I mean you you you're Essentially, you've got to build all of this data scraping uh, infrastructure to do this, right? I mean, this is a centralized tool that you're describing. It's not a, it's not an on-chain tool. Yeah, it's a centralized. It's uh, it's basically, it's basically the mechanism that we implemented already for the rep drop, but turning it into a product, not only for ourselves. Because we already implemented the the rec drop mechanism, and we also already selected the the contracts, the the users from that had uh, staked on Osmosis and Cosmos Hub, etc. But we are also uh, supporting this mechanism for new projects that want to deploy to Evmos to be able to use this tool without any like without think without just spending months and months into like selecting the contracts and stuff. You just need to select the contract address. You just need to select like, oh, what's the minimum amount of gas that I want? And then you can run these query, big query, of course. <laughs> and then you get all these addresses and you get the amount of tokens that you want because you're also be inputting the, the you also provide the, as an input the amount of tokens that you want. And then you, yeah, you just get the addresses. Okay, that's that's interesting. I mean, that's that's a that's that's a product that you could you could probably you know uh, charge for like a, as a separate as a, even like a separate product. So you know, I want to I, I want to zoom out a little bit and, and talk a little talk about the interchain smart contract uh, landscape, if you will. You know, there is like Cosm Wasm has a. Decent, decent sized foothold, I think, in the Cosmos ecosystem with like Juno being, you know, one of the main chains where people can deploy Cosmosm contracts. Um, other chains are also implementing Cosmosm. Yeah, Terra. 
Osmosis. Yeah, Terra Osmosis Club, I think, is probably also going to do it at some point. Um, or Keychain. Um, you know, the, then we have Agoric that a lot of people are you know very excited about. And now Evmos. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, my, my feeling is that this fragmentation, it could go either way. Like, I mean, the, the fragmentation could be good for the ecosystem because it creates a lot of uh, different types of applications and use cases. But I think that alignment also helps accelerate uh, development because everyone is kind of focused in on, on one thing. And my my thinking around this is, as the ecosystem gets bigger and uh, lots of new people come into the ecosystem, is this bizarre approach that Cosmos has always uh, kind of stood by going to work in creating a, a like a competitive ecosystem where people can actually like an ecosystem that can compete with you know the likes of Solana and you know Ethereum and uh, some of the other uh, big layer ones. I think a lot of these uh, chains will specialize in different use cases. Um, you have, of course, a base layer infrastructure like the like the Evmos, the Junos, etc. But you will also see like application specific chains that have VMs that are specifically targeting a use case like Osmosis. Um, Cosmosm environment is probably not going to support, say. I don't know, random uh, governance, uh, smart contracts or or whatever, like NFTs necessarily. It's, that's going to be probably Stargaze, but it's uh, on Osmosis is going to have Cosmosome environment for for only DeFi. So it's kind of like, even though they have like the same application, underlying application, they're kind of like narrowing down on the use case according to what they're already implementing on their chain. That being said, I think there's there's also going to be alignment between all these different protocols through IBC. Um, even the even the the ones that don't necessarily have the same uh, runtime like or same VM like Cosmosm and and Evmos that uh, that implements EVM. So once we implement the functionality for smart contracts on Evmos to call smart contracts on Juno or any Cosmosm chain, like the uh, collaboration we're currently working with Stargaze for NFTs, is going to be huge because then you'll have the same standard for calling smart contracts on, on both chains. And that's going to be creating a huge alignment. Uh, where the chains now don't actually need to compete necessarily, but they can also access benefits from the other counterparty chains that are that they are connected to. So, so there, there will be so it won't matter what the underlying runtime is. Accounts on the interchain are going to be able to control contracts regardless of what the runtime is. Is what you're saying? Yeah, they will be able, like contracts on the EVM will be able to call contracts on Cosmosm and vice versa. Uh, I think assets like CW20, which is the Cosmosm representation of tokens, are going to be compatible with ERC20s on the EVM. And both of them are also going to be compatible with um, the Cosmos token format. Um, 
So the like creating standardization and creating like interoperability components with, between all these different runtimes and EVMs is also going to help solve many use cases and it's going to be able to provide more uh, functionalities like and and something that we haven't even talked about is like interchain farming. So farming on the interchain is something that I'm particular very particularly very very interested in. And um, it's it's a model that I call uh, interchain workflows, where you set up a workflow for one contract to be called in one chain, which calls another contract on another chain, or interacts with osmosis or whatever. You create the LP, you get the LP pools, and then you're creating the same uh, hype that you had on Ethereum in 2020 with uh, DeFi farming. Um, but you will now expanding that to the interchain because of the interoperability. And that is going to be huge. That is going to be huge. And, and in order for us to support these use cases, we need to provide interoperability between like these different EVMs, uh, different VMs. And uh, this is something I, I, like our team is personally really excited to work with and, and happy to work with any other team. And that's why we don't see, like for example, Juno or any other Cosmo Awesome chain as like competitors or anything. Like if you we are able to reach assets and reach contracts through IVC, it's gonna create so much so many opportunities for all the end users. Yeah, I mean I I fully, I fully am on. I'm fully on board with the idea that interoperability uh, just creates more value everywhere, and which is why I'm, I'm so bullish on 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 Cosmos and the interchain and uh, what IBC brings in terms of, uh, you know, all these ecosystems being able to um, to interoperate. And we haven't talked about like Polkadot, also like the ability for you know Polkadot assets to move uh, in and out of the interchain. Um, yeah, I think like interoperability is is uh, is the way that we're going. Yeah, and and, and Avamos will be a point of entry for all these Polkadot from from us in the um, Polkadot ecosystem, and also from Kusama. What what happened in the days leading up to March fourth, and what happened afterwards? And I just want to kind of set the context here, and then. Maybe you know talk about the vulnerabilities uh, that were uh, uncovered, and and then what's the relaunch plan? Because I think that's what people are really interested in. Is like where are we going from here? Before uh, main and launch, um, so we have finished all the components. We had finished all the um, claiming functionality. The, the dashboard was pretty much ready. Uh, in terms of, um, I think like only governance was missing, but that's why we also gave, like that we said on the on chain the claiming to start like one day after minute launch. So we had, and and this is something that we unfortunately realized right after launching, was that the ledger addresses were being incorrectly displayed. On um, on Kepler, so like, if you generated a soft key, like a software key, you would get the right address. But if you had your, for example, your address that was generated through Ledger, and then you change uh, the network to Avmos, 
you will be displaying the incorrect or an address that is invalid more than incorrect. So the as I mentioned before, like we're not supporting the Cosmos keys in order to to have all these Ethereum functionality tooling and 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 like working properly, etc. Like MetaMask. Because of this, the there was a huge risk in terms of like users transferring their claimable records into invalid addresses so that all those funds will be stuck um, and they won't be able to be claimed. And so, so we decided to delay the launch, added new functionality in order to check for these use cases and these vulnerabilities. Um, there was another, and, and that's what's like the Kepler one. Um, on the other side, we had the um, MetaMask issues where on, on the EVM functionality not working properly because um, so in order to for you to convert the Cosmos tokens into ERC20 tokens, so like ch changing the format, the, the Cosmos component needs to listen to the events and, and from uh, a contract in particular and then convert this, uh, this token format. And this functionality was disabled but because it was disabled, it was also disabling uh, by mistake uh, the ERC20 functionality, which was erroring. So like any transaction that was going through the EVM, then went to this post-processing logic, um, made the EVM transactions fail. And this was um, initially tested locally on the on the testnet and everything, but because the parameter was disabled, it was actually the parameter that was preventing this. We had planned an upgrade, a uh, scheduled upgrade for the uh, following Monday, but during Friday and during the weekend, we got a um, notification from the core IVC team that there was a potential critical vulnerability uh, that you can read, read more about and on the post morning that we created on, on the security um, tab on GitHub where we disclosed the vulnerability. So we started working on it during the weekend and we planned an emergency upgrade for the day before, for Sunday. And unfortunately, what happened there is that the upgrade procedure was successful, but the upgrade itself, so like the the nodes that had to halt their 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 so the validators had to halt on their nodes, download the new up the new version, and then restart the nodes. Um, that process failed, and that out that process was meant to be automatic, um, and the automatic upgrade is the process that failed. And then soon afterwards, which is something that has already happened in the ecosystem, like the automatic procedures now working as expected, and then. But it's a super quick fix in the sense of uh, you download the new version manually and then you restore the node because your your node is already halted. So you just need to download the new version. Unfortunately, some validators were still running on the previous version. So that caused uh, issues with consensus and blocks not being produced. And then after some time, uh, a few validators were still offline. So we weren't able to uh, produce new blocks. And then finally, some batteries uh, were um, 
by mistake double signed while trying to fix this consensus run because it was like at 66. So really close to producing a block. And uh, a few validators double signed, unfortunately, during one of the voting rounds uh, in the Tendermint consensus, and they were slashed, and that took the 17% of the voting power out. And yeah, then it was pretty much impossible to um, restart the chain uh, without the required uh, threshold. So, so there was two things. So, was, there was the issues with uh, Kepler and uh, Ledger integration, where um, users were uh, sending funds to keys that aren't valid. First part that I mentioned in the interview that the most challenging thing is actually getting all these tools, which are not part of the core protocol, to work on like to work with the EVM that they were not completely designed for or with all this EVM functionality because the ledger app that we're using, for example, it's not the Cosmos ledger app. It's the Ethereum ledger app. Or, or like soon we'll be launching a new Evmos ledger app that supports this. But Yeah, and I, I encountered this, like I was trying to claim my airdrop and I, you know, I was using a ledger and I was following these guides and it wasn't quite clear what was happening. And then I, I don't know. I, I think I got the tokens, but then, you know, because the chain was was, was restarted, essentially, like, kind of, um, kind of like, uh, you know, forgot, forgot about it. But so there was that. And then there was this other vulnerability that allowed attackers to, I think, kind of claim multiple airdrops. Yeah. Through a an, uh, an malicious IBC chain. And it was a really, really tricky vulnerability where you had to basically create a malicious chain. Basically, spin up a chain with custom functionality, change the signing authorization mechanism. Um, once that was changed, you need to spin up the, the chain with, with the validators. With, then afterwards, you need to connect that via IVC um, by setting up a relayer and, and creating the handshake and then sending an IVC transfer uh, to Evmos in order to claim the tokens. Yeah, and here basically you were you were spoofing, one would have to spoof the address from which the transaction came, I think. Uh, okay, so I mean, this is all described in the postmortem and I'll link to that in the show notes. The, the postmortem is like really detailed and People should take a look at it if they want to learn more about what happened. Um, and then there was this, this double signing thing. I think th that was the most interesting aspect of the uh, of the postmortem. Um, you know, th because so the, these these validators were were tombstoned, and I went and I looked at the Cosmos documentation to look what that to look up what that meant. And uh, from from what I from what I read, it seemed like this is a proposed um action it, it's, it's not actually is, is it implemented is this something that exists double signing causes your validator to be jailed permanently so you're kicked out from the validator said you're not able to produce new blocks and you're you're basically yeah putting a tombstone on the <laughs> on the validator because it's not going to be able to get out from the jail jail state ever. 
Well, what does that mean practically? Because I mean, like, it, it, couldn't I just spin up a new validator with new addresses and move the tokens over there? Like, yeah, you can do that, but then you won't have the voting power. Oh, right. Okay, so all the delegates uh, would you then lose also, all the delegations. You lose all the delegations. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. It's a, it's a Byzantine action where you don't know if the validator is actually committing something malicious. And that's why it's designed to be tombstone, where you, like, traditionally, with t like, leaving the upgrade procedure out, where you, where you are, where you're most likely to double sign because you're running two uh, conflicting versions and signing one block and then another block, and then you're double signing at the same height or at the same round, um, which is, it's not malicious. But during the normal operation of, of the blockchain where you're producing block, if you're double signing uh, a, a regular block, that could be something that's potentially malicious. But in this case, like you were having um, validators, they this was a case where the validators wanted to um, ensure that the consensus was reached by trying to... So the main problem here is that because so, a lot of the validators were offline, there were not new blocks being produced and the, the peers were basically reset. So you were losing all these peers all the time. So in order for you to become online, you had to reset the peers, uh, manually update the peer list and be able to start uh, sending messages with all the rest of the validators in, in, in order to produce this new block. And you have to do this manually, and sometimes the validators that were already offline um, were kicked out from the consensus round because they didn't have healthy peers, or some of these peers were um, removed because they were not producing blocks. And then what happened is uh, with this, like trying to become online again during this process uh, that took so long, it took like four or six hours um, being in the exact same state um, caused the, some validators to just double sign by mistake while trying to become online again. Because for a long time, it was like 66% of the voting power online. So like just, just right below the threshold in order to produce a block. And actually a, a block was produced um, the thing is, like in the next block, some of the validators were offline again, and then you had to start this new process again. Yeah, so so these validators are tombstoned. Uh, will they continue to be tombstoned once the chain relaunches? Because it, I don't, I, I, from from my vantage points, it seems like if these validators um, th that that this was a consequence of you know, all the confusion of the and, and of the upgrade. Yeah, was there any evidence of, of malicious behavior or? Uh, no, there's no evidence of malicious behavior. And uh, um, what we're gonna do is uh, restart the chain from the previous upgrade so that there is no evidence of uh, double signing on chain. So these developers can resume operations as normal, normally. What's 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 the next steps, and uh, what are the plans to relaunch the chain, and when when is that going to happen? Yeah, so 
they were launching internal testnet. Uh, sorry, the the public testnet with with all the changes. Um, this is going to be the better the better version, and we're going to run that with a community of validators. And once that's done, um, we're going to ensure that the bugs are well, the, the bugs will be fixed if, if this testing goes successful, but then we also need to test that the restarting the chain is actually not breaking any anything else uh, based on, on what I just said, that the upgrade was not successful and you basically need to restart with that, with a previous state. Okay, so are you, is the plan to restart the chain from zero or from, from the block before the upgrade, which I think was like 58,700, like, you're not sure yet where um it's it's gonna be fifty eight thousand okay so like a lot of, and this is what a lot of people have been complaining that uh, some users were able to claim their tokens uh, while others not and the ones that were able to claim their tokens were the ones that read the specification that we had publicly available and um were able to you know like create a guide or what whatnot and um, but as opposed to other chains in the ecosystem, uh, we have uh, we're distributing the tokens uh, epoch space, so like every day at the same time. Um, so that effectively reduces the amount of allocation to like only three events. So like the chain was running for four days, uh, but we we started the claiming process like a day afterwards. So the only ones that were able to sort of like benefit were the ones that claimed during these three periods. Um, so that's where the, I mean, instead of like 58,700 blocks where in every block you were distributing all these rewards, you only distribute them on three events. Um, so the users were not necessarily, I mean, there were some users who, who were able to claim, yes, but um, there weren't many events, there weren't many tokens that were distributed because of this. Um, it was only three events instead of like more days or more events or like block uh, than a per block reward. Yeah, I, I heard concerns also about validators who had sold some of the tokens over the counter um so so those transactions by by starting at 58,700 those transactions are also preserved and aren't aren't reverted yeah so restarting the chain will preserve uh re restarting the chain from the latest hide will preserve the entire state of the of the blockchain yeah what what, what is the impact on the rec drop here if any are, are you just going to get more tokens because they've had to go through this or are you just keeping the rec drop sort of like tokenomics as is? So this is something that, I mean, we already increased the uh, airdrop allocation initially, like before this happened because of the previous delays. But yeah, we're going to give more time um, for users to claim their full, full amount before the decay period starts. And then, yeah, we'll, we're probably gonna be, um, yeah, yeah, we're we're gonna give more time, but uh, we we're not considering at the moment um, giving anything in exchange for this. But this is something we haven't put into consideration, and then we 
um, we are going to be the ones providing, as I mentioned, this product for you to get a next um, spreadsheet and an airdrop tokens um, to different users. And probably one category would also be so like users who weren't able to claim during direct drop. And uh, what's the lesson here? Like, what what have you learned from this, or what's the team learned? And I think there's also like a broader lesson for the blockchain ecosystem as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. So the the main lesson that we learned is we had focused our testing on QA processes mostly on chain, um, and not actually with all the uh, products or all the um, the tools that our users will interact with, like Kepler, MetaMask, etc. So also focusing on like an end-to-end -end interaction with all these um, tools is something that it's we've learned that is really important as part of like deploying new functionality, of course, because some fun some tools might work and some tools might not, uh, or some might be displaying correct information with like, for example, what happened with Kepler. Um, so ensuring that everything works end to end is something that we're also going to spend more time on. And we've also like creating, we're also creating like a readiness checklist, ensuring that uh, all this functionality is tested, well specified, discovering like potential attack vectors, not only from internally to our chain, but also um, that affect IBC, uh, et cetera. And do you think there's a there's a, a broader lesson here to be learned uh, from this episode? And I, I can't I can't help but you know they're they're totally different episodes. But there there's been like two kind of crises in the Cosmos ecosystem over the last month. You know, there's been the, the whole like Juno whale governance uh, proposal, and then um, and then you know, what's happened with Evmos. Um, what what are the kind of takeaways here for the ecosystem, and uh, you know how how can we uh, you know hope to maybe uh, do do better in the future, or like avoid these sorts of things in the future, or um, yeah, yeah. So, big part of our approach uh, in launching this functionality is ensuring that the Cosmos ecosystem is ready to support Ethereum, and the Ethereum ecosystem is ready to support Cosmos. And we're working a lot in um, to ensure that is is going to happen uh, through Atmos, and and supporting all the Cosmos tool and the Ethereum tooling uh, is really important. The other thing is creating more guides and more documentation in order to ensure that uh, testing functionality is as expected, up upgrade procedures uh, work as expected, uh, so that. We are not, we're going to be the only ones, um, we're going to be the last ones to encounter these sort of issues so that other teams can also learn from our mistakes. Also, other teams can learn from our practices in terms of like testing, uh, QA. I'm really happy to share with that uh, those guides and those testing practices that we're introducing to the rest of the community 
have already been uh, working with the IVC team to ensure that they um, like they enable more um, QA processes, like behavior tests against a specification, etc. Yeah, I think like the the testing and auditing aspect uh, remains the biggest challenge, I think, in, in blockchains as we increase composability and interoperability. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's going to get more and more complex and there's going to be more things to look at uh, in terms of ensuring that all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. And, um, but yeah, hopefully with, you know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's like, I look at it sort of similar to the airline industry or, uh, or like the, you know, the aviation industry and how, you know, we've, we've, it's, it's unfortunate, but like we've learned so much from, uh, from the, from all the incidents and crashes that happened, you know, in the last like 70 years or whatever. And, and now like plane crashes are fairly rare and when, when they happen, it's, it's horrible, but they're reasonably rare compared to, you know, like, what it was like in the sixties and seventies where, you know, your, your risk of crashing on an airplane was like, you know, not incredibly high, but I think was much higher than, than what it is today. And um, I think we'll, we'll go through the same sorts of things in crypto. And that's like, you know, that rec leaderboard is like, you know, you can kind of compare it to the, the, to the, all the airline, uh, all the airplane crashes uh, that happened you know, in the last 50 years. Yeah. The main thing is like Cosmos is hard. And then on top of that, we have the EVM. And on top of that, we also have like IBC, um, which adds one layer and then another layer of uh, potential vulnerabilities, uh, which is harder to audit, harder to test, and harder to... Um, but we're implementing all these processes and setting all these things in place so that we ensure it doesn't happen again. Yeah, and, and the good thing is, I mean, also... This happened at the launch of the chain, like no funds were lost, essentially. There's, there's been no real economic loss from this. And so I think you guys will recover. You're, you're definitely doing the right thing about being transparent. And, um, and I'm, I'm still super excited and bullish uh, about FMOS. So I'm like really looking forward to you guys launching. And, awesome. Yeah. So when, when is the relaunch? Do, do we have a date? Uh, we don't have a date because we're working with we're going to be working with the validators and to ensure that the transition is smooth. Also, going to ask for their availability because um, we don't want to post any dates without them knowing. That's a big doodle. <laughs> That's a big Calendly yeah. <laughs> to have like all the validators available. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. Well, th thanks so much uh, for your time and. Um, Looking forward to, uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing where this goes. Like, I think it's going to be such uh, such a big um, push uh, in the blockchain space generally, and in 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 bringing together like the EVM ecosystem and the Ethereum ecosystem and the Cosmos ecosystem. And I can't wait to see uh, what that brings uh, in terms of usage and, and like new applications and just like growth. And it's going to be massive. Thanks. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Sebastian.